Well, this morning we come to the end of our brief series in the book of Habakkuk. It's a brief series because the book is brief. It's only three chapters, and our our reading this morning uh, will be the final chapter of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles and and you want to follow along there, um, go ahead and turn there now. That's also printed for you in your bulletins. And um, as we read Habakkuk 3, let let us stand for the reading of God's word. And our reading is Habakkuk chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to a Shagayanoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His his were the ways of everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from the bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yields, fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This has been the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let me pray briefly. Father, we come before you with, uh, as, as we've done the past few weeks, a, a word that on the surface feels very disconnected uh, from our context, feels very disconnected from the modern world in which we live. And yet, Lord, we come with this faithful expectation that your word is for us. Not just to give us a history lesson, not just to to give us information so we can know more, but it's a word that is equipped 
by your spirit to, to grow us in our faith and knowledge of Christ and the salvation that you have purchased in him. And so, Lord, would you do that kind of work? Uh, would you at- attend the preaching of your, of your word, that it would go out, that it would not return empty? And, Lord, we, uh, we ask of you, and in many ways we ask in comfort, that, that this is a work that you have to do. And so, Lord, would you do it as you've promised? I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Again, this morning we turn to the third and final chapter of uh, our, our, our brief look at this brief book, Habakkuk. Uh, this book is heavy. It, it may not be the most obvious choice in terms of kicking off a new year together, but I think it's a good candidate for what we need. As we've seen over the past few weeks uh, with the first two chapters of Habakkuk, they're, they're structured around two complaints from this prophet, and then we have two replies, two responses from God. Habakkuk comes to the Lord complaining that he sees nothing but wickedness in the people of God in the kingdom of Judah where he lives. There's violence and oppression and injustice. There's corruption. There's, there's contention. Everybody is at each other's throats. No one is listening to God. Habakkuk cries out in chapter 1 that the law is paralyzed. And so Habakkuk's complaint is, God, why aren't you doing anything? How do you just sit idly by? How can you just sit back with your hands in your pockets? God, how can you remain silent? And then God replies. God answers his prophet. And remember, his answer is, is far more distressing than his silence. God says, I'm not idle. I'm not just sitting back. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. This is the next great ancient superpower, Babylon. I am raising them up to be the the instrument of judgment against my people, Judah. Again, God's answer is worse for Habakkuk than his silence. I cried out because of violence, and your response is, I'm going to send an even more violent people to you. I cried out that Judah was wicked, and your response is, I'm going to send a, let's be honest, an even more wicked people to do your work? This doesn't make any sense. How can this be? Habakkuk's first complaint was, how can you sit idly by while Judah falls apart? Habakkuk's second complaint is, how can you be on the side of the Babylonians? How can you just watch them do whatever they want? And then God's second reply is, make no mistake. I see everything Babylon is and will be, and I even know their end, and they will receive judgment. They will receive what is due to them. And then we come to chapter 3. And Habakkuk gives us his final reply. He has the last word, and it's a remarkable reply. I don't know if you noticed this, but this entire chapter is a song. It's a psalm kind of reminds me of a musical, right? You might have, a, have dialogue and action that's carrying the, the plot of the story along, and then all of a sudden they'll, they'll bust out into a musical number, and oftentimes the musical number will convey, convey like the inner life of, of the narrator, kind of explaining how they feel. Oftentimes the song will, will kind of look back at the action, and it will kind of summarize everything that happens. And I know some of you in this room hate musicals, and you're still wrong. Musicals are great. And musicals are biblical, because Habakkuk is somewhat of a musical. Verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to a Shagayanoth. What in the world is a Shagayanoth? It's something along how you sing it or perform it. Maybe it's like genre. You know, this is like a jazz standard. 
It's a classical number. It, 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 it's a hip-hop work, right? Uh, if, if you have, have played an instrument, oftentimes you'll look at, at sheet music, and it'll, it'll have the, the time on there, but it'll say, like, upbeat march. Or my favorite is, play it thoughtful and contemplative. Maybe that's something of what a Shagayanoth is. We don't really know. At the end of our chapter, verse 19, uh, this is for the choir master with stringed instruments. This is who's supposed to play this tune. Again, chapter 3 is not a closing chapter. It's a closing song. Uh, That's fascinating because Habakkuk is wrestling with some of the biggest issues we face as human beings. We have the question of evil. We have suffering. We have God's silence. And Habakkuk doesn't give us a theological lecture. He doesn't give us a philosophical treatise. He gives us a song to sing. He gives us a song about faith. And that's exactly what this book has been about from the beginning. It's about faith. Now, what have we grasped about faith so far in our look at Habakkuk? Uh, Let me ask you, what is the opposite of faith? How would you answer that? What is the opposite of faith? Would you say the opposite of faith is doubt? Or the opposite of faith is, is unbelief? The opposite of faith is disbelief? How would Habakkuk answer that question? What is the opposite of faith? Well, for Habakkuk, it certainly isn't doubt. It is Habakkuk's doubt and yet his trust in God that enables him to go to the Lord with his concerns and complaints. Right? He's troubled by everything around him. He doesn't really have categories for it. He's really confused. He's troubled by the wickedness of his people, the silence of God. He's more troubled by the answer of God. But because he trusts the Lord, he has faith. And so he engages God with all of his doubt. And that's the key. If anything... In this book, the opposite of faith is pride. It's self-reliance. It's trusting in your own strength and might and power and ability. And so here's Babylon, swollen with pride. They do as they please. But faith for Habakkuk leads him to question God. Out of pride, Habakkuk could have just turned away. He could have determined, you know, frankly, I just know better than God. He could have assumed his understanding of the situation was the whole story. He could have complained about God instead of complaining to God. He could have acted as a judge over God, but instead he humbly trusts that God is good and right, even when he can't wrap his mind around what God is doing. His faith makes all the difference for how he approaches the world, and it's the same for us. So the question before us as we conclude this book is what does Habakkuk and what does this song teach us about faith? What are the final words? What's what's the final takeaway we can grab hold of about faith from this book? And, And there's two points we'll work through briefly. For Habakkuk in this song, faith is gritty and faith is grounded. Faith is gritty and faith is grounded. All right, first takeaway from from this book about faith, is that faith is gritty. Uh, If you describe someone as gritty, what are you saying? What does it mean for someone to be gritty? It means tough, right? Typically, life has been hard for that gritty person, and so that hard life has shaped them. If you say a war movie is gritty, what are you saying? You're saying it's it's realistic. It, It conveys the horror of war. Um, there's no kind of smoothing out the rough edges. There's no sugarcoating the story. It's gritty. It's tough. Well, Habakkuk displays for us a tough, resilient, real-life-formed, gritty faith. This This is faith worked out in darkness. 
This is faith worked out in the midst of life's challenges and hardships. His faith is under no illusions. It's gritty. Listen to verse 16. He, he reflects on God's word to him about this judgment that will come. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. All right, so Habakkuk has received God's word about impending judgment on Judah that will fall. This is a hard word. See, when Habakkuk cries out, how long, O Lord, he's crying out for redemption, isn't he? He's crying out, how long, O Lord, until you come and establish your kingdom in full as you have promised to do? How long until you come with that good news? But there is no comfort in being told that you'll have a front row seat to the judgment of your people. He's rightly broken up about this. He's trembling knowing that pain and suffering are coming. Verses 17 to 18 are probably the most memorable verses in the book. This this beautiful poetic conclusion where Habakkuk sings, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I mean, these are beautiful words, but words nonetheless that speak to total devastation. Everything gone. Yet these are the circumstances where Habakkuk expresses faith. This feels really counter to how we approach faith. Uh, we celebrate faith and trust in God when things are going well. That's when it's easy to do that. That's when we often talk about God's faithfulness to us. When God seems to be answering my prayers according to my plan. According to my understanding. But Habakkuk is talking about a faith when God answers his prayer in a way that rocks his world. A way that brings him to the end of himself. Habakkuk is facing a future with no resources. There's no land, no community. Everything he knows is is wiped out. Yet even in these circumstances, Habakkuk will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk may lose his harvest, his nation, his prosperity, but he refuses to lose his God. It's kind of a reminder, to lose good things will break your heart. It'll even bring you to the end of yourself, but to lose your God, to lose your greatest good, that's where joy and peace are gone, extinguished. No hope. Faith is is in the midst of the darkness clinging to God because where else will I go? (laughs) You alone have the words of life. It's not just that Habakkuk will continue to believe in God. It's not just that Habakkuk will acknowledge that God exists. He will delight in God. He will take joy in God. He will find comfort in God when there is absolutely no comfort to be found elsewhere. This is a terribly important lesson, isn't it? This preaches to us, doesn't it? It's honest, it's, it's real, it's challenging. There are no false pictures of how the world is, is going to work. I think so much of, of American Christianity like, needs this message of Habakkuk. Part of my job, it's, it's probably the biggest part of my job, is, is to prepare you to suffer and then to sit with you when you do. We need a faith that's clear-eyed. 
The American church needs the message of Habakkuk. You know, to go into a Christian bookstore today, if they still exist, uh, you first of all will not find very many books in the Christian bookstore. And on the bestseller list, you'll, you'll find books on dieting, patriotism, financial planning, B and C list celebrity memoir, books on achieving prosperity and achieving your goals. God just wants you to be happy if you will just believe that. Now, do any of those things, and some of those topics are fine and good, but do any of them provide a foundation stable enough to meet you when the fig tree doesn't blossom or when fruit isn't on the vine? Do any of those topics provide a foundation for the cancer diagnosis or the abandoned spouse or the family member completely engulfed in addiction, a depleted retirement account? Don't we need a faith that can stand up to reality? And isn't that what Habakkuk provides? He's not sentimental. There are no easy, cliche answers in this book. He doesn't pull punches. Instead, he reminds us, he shows us, we need to have this clear-eyed, gritty, honest, real faith like Habakkuk. Otherwise, we won't know what to do when everything falls apart. Or, we'll have nothing to offer someone whose life has fallen apart. All right, so the book of Habakkuk teaches us that we need a gritty faith. That's great. It's wonderful. But how do we get a gritty faith? How do we grow in a gritty faith? And that's our second point. Habakkuk teaches us that we need a, a faith that's not only gritty, that's wonderful, but it becomes gritty, it becomes tough because it's grounded. Habakkuk's resolve is grounded in remembering who God is because he remembers what God has done. All right, Habakkuk's resolve is grounded in remembering who God is because he remembers what God has done. Let me explain. So after two chapters of pain and anguish and confusion and frustration, this back and forth with God, all of a sudden he begins this song, and, and it sounds a little odd, doesn't it, based on everything that we've read in Habakkuk. It sounds a little bit out of place. It sounds triumphant. Tonally, it sounds off. We would expect the song to be in, in, a, in a minor key, but I don't think the Shagayanov, if it were in our kind of genres of music, I don't think it would be in a minor key. No, he's remembering what God has done with these, these songs of triumph. He's singing a song celebrating the strength and might and power of God. So in this song of triumph, Habakkuk is giving us his grounds for faith. He's remembering what God has done in history. So look at verse 2. This is such a beautiful passage. It's where the song begins. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I mean, this verse speaks so clearly to the heart of Habakkuk the prophet. His prayer is not keep me safe and keep me prosperous. He prays for God to do the work. He wants God's purpose to be fulfilled, right? Oh, Lord, I've heard the report of you. I've heard what you have done in history. Because of that, my awe is in you. I fear you. I look to you. I am surrounded by things in this world that should strike fear in me. But because of this report of who you are and what you have done, I, I fear you. My awe is in you. And yet I don't see you working. And so in the midst of the years, work it. In the midst of the years, in the midst of my life, 
I don't want, I don't want just a report. I want you to work now. In wrath, remember mercy. You have every reason in the world to be wrathful toward me and your people, but I know you because of your report. And you are the God who delights in giving mercy and grace. God, do your work like you always do. God, fulfill your purposes. He longs for God's work and will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, it's a beautiful candidate for the prayer of the church in every age. We come together as a people. I've heard of your report. Because of that, I fear you. Be at work. Be at work. And then he sings of this report. He sings of God's work. From Taman and Mount Paran, real geographical dirt. Real places, real people, both Taman and Paran are on the eastern side of the Sinai Peninsula. That doesn't mean much to me either if I'm not looking at a map, but here's what it means. They are one of the first peoples to see Israel coming out of the Exodus in triumph. The language, the pictures that Habakkuk paints in his songs is, is of the Exodus event from Egypt to Sinai. We have brightness and lightning. It sounds like Sinai. We have pestilence and plague. It sounds like the deliverance out of Egypt. And so Habakkuk sounds like Exodus 15 when the people are delivered through the Red Sea and they bust out the, the tambourines. They start singing a song of victory. It sounds like Judges 5, which is a reference to this Kushan and Midian, more strong enemies of Israel, and yet here is God's conquering work through the Judges. And so Judges 5, Deborah and Barak sing a song, and their song in Judges 5 sounds like Exodus 15. And so you see Habakkuk 3, he's just adding to the report, he's adding to the story of how God works in history delivering his people. He's putting together this mosaic, this collage of how God is a God who fights for his people. And when he fights for his people, he wins. His faith is grounded in remembering, not wishful thinking. But trusting in the God who has spoken promises to his people and proved that he is willing and able to keep his promises. Verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed. This is the same God that still goes for the salvation of his people. Because Habakkuk has this remembering faith, his faith is clear eyed. Because he knows that God does act, he knows that God does destroy the wicked, he does remember his promise of salvation. And so Habakkuk holds firm to him. He clings to God with all of his doubts, concerns, and complaints. He makes God's reality his identity, and that's where he is able to find rest. His faith is grounded. It's grounded. I think this is a good lesson for us in the way that Habakkuk shows us how to ground our, we can't grind our faith, how to ground our faith. Um, if you've ever installed an electrical outlet or, or a ceiling fan, uh, You've dealt with the various wires that are coming at, out at you, and, and you have a grounding wire, don't you? The grounding wire is typically copper. So you think it's usually always copper nowadays. Now, what's the purpose of the grounding wire? Well, the ground wire is an electrical wire that literally goes into the ground, goes into the dirt that you live on. The purpose of this is that when you have an excess electrical charge, it doesn't happen at the point of the charge or it doesn't uh, spark out on you and create a fire. The point is that excess electrical charge goes into the dirt where it safely dies. 
I think that's a helpful image of what's going on here. Our suffering is something like an electrical charge. Feels like an electrical charge often, doesn't it? Our suffering is like an electrical charge, and it needs to go somewhere where it can be handled safely. And our suffering needs to be grounded in the works of God. If we have nowhere to take our suffering, it will overwhelm us. If, if our faith is shallow, it will overwhelm us. It needs to go back into the saving works of God. This is slightly different than saying we need to go to the heart of God or to the character of God. I think that's true, but this is saying something a little different. It's not just to acknowledge that, yes, God is good and just and wise and righteous, but what's better for, gr- for grounding our faith is that in the dark, in the heartache, we go to the work of God. In our suffering, it's not just to confess that God is good, it's to hear Jesus call out to all who are weary and heavy laden. It's to meditate on Jesus and his compassionate touch to the broken. It's to cling to his own body broken on the cross. When life is crumbling, we do more than just repeat that God is good because I think that's always in danger of being too abstract. No, we behold his goodness physically, literally, in time and place, nailed to a cross out of his inextinguishable, infinite love for us. Is this why Paul said his only aim was to preach Christ and him crucified? That concrete grounding image. See, with Habakkuk, we're able to say, I'm able to rejoice in the Lord, not in my circumstances. I will take joy in the God of my salvation because he is my rock, as he has been the rock for generations. I will take joy in Christ, my Lord, because he loved me and gave himself for me. This is the heart of Christianity. It's not fundamentally a moral system. It's not an ethical system. It's not a philosophy of life. It's history. It's history for me. That's the cry of faith. We too trust in a God who acts in history. I think this is a huge part of why we gather on Sunday mornings. It's not to hear a motivational talk. It's not that I can give you a few steps to live out your best life uh, for, the, for the week ahead. I'm too cynical for that. You won't do it anyway. So I'm not going to waste time giving, giving us lists that, that I, I don't keep them either. No, no, we need to come here to remember who God is, which, which is a stubborn belief that when we remember who God is, we remember who we are. And empowered by the Spirit of God, we start to live like it and act like it, and repent like it, and forgive like it, and trust like it. Too often we come to this place with spiritual amnesia, forgetting who God is and what he has done, and therefore who we are. See, we're an awful lot like Habakkuk. We don't see God's acts of might and power in that visible, dramatic way. Instead, what do we see with our eyes? We see the same thing he saw, evil, sickness, dying, suffering, death. They seem to have the upper hand, which is why we join him with that same cry, how long? And so we come to this place to remember what he has done. That God has worked in history and that in Christ Jesus, he has entered our history. That Jesus received our wrath so that with great confidence we can know and trust that God will indeed remember mercy. We look back to what he has done, and because of what he has done, we can cling to God with our doubts and with our confusion and with our complaints, and we can trust him, even if everything is falling apart. 
God is not aloof to uh, the evil and to the suffering and to the pain of this world because he entered it. And he suffered it himself to free us from it. And so with Habakkuk, we can cry out and I can, I can rejoice. I can find joy in the Lord. And to each other, with each other, we can cry out, I will rejoice because Christ is my strength. Let us pray. Our great and merciful God, we come before you fully dependent on you for what we need, which is a a, a gritty faith, a faith that is tough, a faith that is worked out in in real life, and oftentimes that real life can, can be something that's very painful, very disillusioning. And yet, Lord, we're so grateful for a book like Habakkuk, a, a random ancient prophet who, who maybe we don't read very often, yet here is this word that, that reminds us, what do I need when things fall apart? And, and if we're being real for just a second, we realize life does fall apart. And yet here is this beautiful song of rejoicing amidst hard circumstances. Here is a beautiful song that, that draws us not just to, to abstract concepts, um, not just to rehearsing the attributes of God which are so true and they're so good, but instead rehearsing how we have seen you work in this world. How we have seen your heart displayed. And Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that where that was chiefly displayed was at the cross. Lord, would your Holy Spirit seal that word into our hearts? Would you build us up? Lord, would you strengthen us for the days ahead? I know there are people in this room now who are are in the darkness. There are people in this room who feel the, the full weight of the valley. Lord, would you be near them? Would they be able to see your report of what you have done to be able to grab hold of you with all of their confusion, with all of their frustration? And Lord, for those of us who are not in the valley right now, would this go into our hearts? Lord, would you hide this word in, in our hearts so that we would cling to you when life becomes hard? And Lord, would this be a word that is, is buttresses our faith, strengthens our faith as we go forward? Would it be a word that reminds us of the the, the power and hope and glory of even proclaiming the report of what you have done for the world that is in so desperate, such desperate need for you? Lord, do a work that only you can do. And pray this in Jesus' name, amen.